everybody. Welcome to the Recovering Hypocrite Podcast. I am, as always, your chief recovering hypocrite around these parts, Noel Jesse Hakenen. And I have with me today a guest. That, this is unusual. I have thought of no questions. I just knew who I wanted to talk to, and I knew what I wanted to talk about. But I, I just want to see where this conversation goes, because things are just so fluid these days. I have with me today Daniel Yang, and, and Daniel uh, was an engineer for a number of years, then went on to plant a church in Toronto, which is interesting to me because my wife and I almost planted a church in Toronto once, and so that's uh, high on uh, cities that we love. Um, he has five kids, and currently... He is the director of the SEND Institute, which is a think tank uh, that focuses their energies on thinking about evangelism and church planting. And, and Daniel, the reason I wanted to have you on today and just the big fluid conversation I want to have mm-hmm. is what is evangelism and church planting and I guess just even local church life going to look like? at the end of this whole mm. uh, COVID-19 crisis. Because the, the thing is, um, I don't think we have any idea what the next 6, 12, 18 months look like, but your expertise is thinking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just thrilled uh, to have you on today. I don't have any question to start with, except for to say thank you so much for jumping on. No, thanks for, thanks for having me, man. I love the uh, title of the uh, podcast because I fit that category quite nicely. And so um, thanks for having me on. You know, you're right, man. It's, it's hard to tell what the future looks like, right? I mean, so, you know, my joke is, you know, I'm not a profit. I work at a nonprofit, don't make a lot of profit. So, I mean, that's just the reality <laughs> of, you know, the kind of work that we do. But um, there are some things that I think we could hope for. Um, and uh, there, there are some things that I think we're seeing happen in these last two weeks that we've never seen before. Uh, and, you know, part of the analogy is, uh, I've heard Alan Hirsch use this, you know, Ed Sessor's used this recently in a couple of webinars that he's done. But have you heard about the chess analogy that they've been using? No. So it's the idea of, uh, you know, one, one way that some people have become better chess players is they learn how to play chess without the queen. Hmm. And so when you learn how to use the other pieces better, uh, and you realize what their function uh, is and uh, creating strategies, strategies around uh, those players rather than the queen, uh, then you become a better chess player and then you reinsert the queen. And so in some ways, that's a helpful analogy um, for those of us who have done church in a way where the Sunday service, the Sunday gathering has been our queen and we've built our primary strategy around that. I think... Uh, we're all now, it doesn't matter if you're a mega church or a church of 50 people, we're all now somewhat at an equal playing level where we have to figure out what church life looks like right now uh, without that queen in place. And so, uh, and this is me, I mean, I love Sunday gathering, uh, Sunday worship, like that's a huge premium for me. But I think that's helpful for some of us because that will impact maybe not how we do church coming out of this, but it's going to impact the kinds of leaders that we're making right now. Because, I mean, I, I'm uh, in a cohort where I, I lead uh, 100-something pastors right now in creating a 90-day plan in the midst of um, responding to this virus uh, or the crisis that it's causing. And it's amazing how the number of them who have not had small groups ministry have to create small groups ministry now. And for those of them who, who small groups ministry used to suck in the past, they're having to actually <laughs> right. make it meaningful. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and those who... Who, who have done small groups well, they're actually realizing that we have to allow 
our leaders to pastor and to lead mission because we can't do it mm. as the staff and the leaders. So yeah. those are some positive things that I'm, uh, that's exciting. Obviously there's a lot of things to be, you know, dismayed about right now, yeah. but I think some of those factors, if we really lean into that, that should make a stronger church coming out of it. So. Yeah. Well, even last fall, our church, uh, had rolled out a five-year vision. Mm-hmm. And January here was the beginning of our five-year vision. And we talked about uh, really fervently adding disciples, leaders, pastors, venues, and churches. We wanted to plant churches, raise up lots of leaders, lots of church planters. And and, and I cannot help but be struck by the fact that God may be answering our prayer. Mm through this crisis. And it, it, sure. it, it feels awful because you, in one sense, you're like, this is an awful thing. Um, and it's going to get awfuler in the next couple mm-hmm. of weeks. Uh, the numbers are going to go up. And yet at the same time, gosh, I even think about scripture. God is, uh, I even hate to say this out loud. God's the God of the plague, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. He, 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 he weaves that stuff into what he's doing. And we're seeing leaders be developed. I wonder if we're going to have life groups that turn into church plants. Sure. I wonder yeah. if we're going to have life group leaders who all of a sudden say, I, I really didn't realize I could shepherd before. Mm-hmm. And now I, I'm, I'm seeing myself as a pastor. And we're talking about uh, what happens if, the, if the, the government comes back and says, you've got 12 to 18 months where you can't gather with more than 100 people. Mm-hmm. Like a lot mm-hmm. of churches are doing online churches right now. But yeah. larger churches, if they're told, hey, eight, uh, 12 to 18 months until we have a vaccine, you guys can't meet. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're, you know, a 3,000 person church is going to need 30 house churches. Yeah, like, what right. is this going to do for church planting? I just wonder if, if God's going to answer prayers in extraordinary ways during this crisis. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I, I'm already hearing uh, some of these answered prayers. You know, obviously there's this tension between mourning with those who mourn and grieving with those who are grieving, and then also seeing God, uh, you know, both uh, bolster and then also cleanse his, his church. And it's exciting to see how churches are being collaborative and how they respond to their city. Like I just, I love, I was on a call with Jeff Vanderstel, uh couple of days ago and he was talking about what they're doing in Seattle with collaborating across churches and he, he one thing he said is you know one church can't do it all so one church is handling prayer ministry the other church is handling uh, mercy ministry the other church is actually handling uh, leadership development and so I, I I love the collaboration that's happening um, and I think that that's really that's that humility of lowering your flag down and so that mm. you know the flag of Jesus can be right, raised up right Right. Yeah, and so we're seeing that. And that, you, that's got to affect the condition of the soil coming out of the other side of this. Well, yeah, I think that. So the last time you and I saw each other was at Exponential, which is a church planning conference down mm-hmm. in Orlando. And one of the speakers, gosh, I wish I could remember his name. He was uh, African. He taught, he, his analogy he gave was the body of Christ. And, we, and he shook me a little bit because he's like, you know, we always talk about the body of Christ being, we think local church, but he pulled it back from the local church and said, what if all the components of the body of Christ are the church around the world? Mm -hmm. The, the, the faith of the African church and, you know, the, and, and he went through the evangelism of this part of the world and this part of the world. And I wonder if that's, yeah. If I wonder if there is a, a necessary 
unifying of the body of Christ in our communities to really be the bodies in our cities that's happening right now uh, because we almost have no other choice but to rely on each other and trust each other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, even the way that churches are, like larger churches right now that are helping smaller churches get online, you know, really practical things like that. Yeah, I'm thinking, I can't remember a time where, you know, a larger church said, hey, come in and use our facilities, you know, come and use our camera, our tech gear, our tech people. Um, and so these are some of the things that I feel like, man, if we can stay humble, the Lord is actually uh, uh, introducing the body to itself. Uh, and then on the other side of it, when we're talking about non-Christians, um, I did a completely unscientific uh, poll on our Facebook city page. I live in Aurora, Illinois, right outside of Chicago. And, you know, I try to stay pretty active in that Facebook page. And uh, I think there's 43,000 people in that Facebook page. And I just did a really simple poll. Uh, I wanted to know how my neighbors and people in our community were feeling. Um, and I just, I think I put an Eckert scale of, you know, uh, what anxiety level are you yeah, feeling? Yeah. And uh, essentially, uh, over 90% of the people that responded says they're feeling abnormal anxiety right now. And uh, you kind of know that. Um, and if the church doesn't, you know, uh, really cling to Jesus right now so that he can minister to us, we're going to be too self-focused on uh, worrying about, you know, how we're going to do church, uh, how church is going to look like when this is a great opportunity to engage our neighbors. As a matter of fact, my wife and I, and I'm just using my life like as an example right now. This afternoon, we're sheltering place just like you guys in Lansing right now. And we're, you know, we respect that. That's the law and I promote that. But we're just gonna have backyard barbecue with my neighbor. They're gonna be in the yard. <laughs> we're gonna be in our yard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we may exchange some food. We'll see, you know, it depends on our comfort levels. Um, but this is the time to engage those that typically, if you didn't have time in the past, engage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, people are craving that sort of community that ought to be in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And walking around my neighborhood, um, just like just yesterday, I ran off to Lowe's just because we needed disinfectant and we needed light bulbs. And so we did, and I thought, okay, Lowe's will be an easy place to go. And just driving, you know, we live in a suburb, just driving down to Lowe's, I had to dodge people walking in the street. And the reason is there are people on the sidewalks, people on the street, people on, in yards walking, and they're doing two things at the same time. They're trying to avoid everybody and be far away and they're trying to have conversations with them. So there's pockets mm, of people mm -hmm. on the street and on the corners. I think it is exposing, it's, it's fascinating in the castling of America, where we've all built mm, our little castles right. in our suburbs. We are now longing to get on the other side of the moat. And I think like yeah. your barbecue idea, I was telling my neighbor, my, my neighbor and I were standing in the street and his wife kept yelling from her, her window, stay six feet apart from each other, Daniel Noel. <laughs> <laughs> his name is Daniel. Um, and uh -huh. just stay away from each other. And we were like, and he was like, I need air for my bikes, but uh, my air pump is broken. And I said, well, I said, I put gloves on, got my compressor. <laughs> set the hose out you know we're, we're trying to figure out how to be in community right. how do you right. do you think that you know just as you think about evangelism mm -hmm. um and do you think this is an a time where 
it is a relationship building time or is it an evangelism talking about Jesus time? Mm -hmm. Is it a little bit of both? Is it different than any other times in history? You know, you have the kind of these waves mm -hmm. of, of seasonality to that. Do, do mm -hmm. you, are there any historic examples or anything that you're thinking about the season we're in, some practical tips related to that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So to answer your, your first question, I, I think it's more of both. Um, I think you need more proclamative approaches right now. Uh, and then I think you need more deed oriented approaches. Um, and obviously uh, there's challenges with the deeds because of social distancing. Um, but I think, you know, I mean, if you were to go back to, you know, at the end of World War II, we were nation building, um, you know, coming out of the Great Depression and then to World War II. And just United States was in this phase where they were just trying to rebuild itself as a nation. Um, as a matter of fact, that was probably one of the times where denominations grew quite the fastest. Uh, it was actually during that time where the Southern Baptists outgrew the, the Methodists. For a long time, the Methodists were the, the largest number of Protestants in, in the United States. And uh, a part of that was uh, because people coming out of pandemics, coming out of wars, uh, you see this with Korea, same thing with Korea after the Korean War. I mean, your wife is Korean, and there's just tremendous stories of how the church grew immediately after the war. Uh, and that was because people were engaged both deed evangelism and word evangelism. And so they didn't shy away from proclaiming Jesus as Lord, uh, but at the same time, they backed it up with deeds. And so um, I, I think in some ways, uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to tell, like, you know, because when you're in the midst of the turmoil, you don't know where you need to address. You don't know, you know, the patches that you need to, to plug up holes in. But I think if the church could be following what the Holy Spirit's doing, uh, both both in word and deed, um, the opportunities that come out of this, the joblessness that people are facing right now, I mean, that's huge. Uh, the number of businesses, if, if Christians could pay attention to their local businesses. So uh, we part of a group right now where we just have kept um, a website of the pages of small businesses in our area where we need to check up on uh, because they're near closing. I think if, if the church could be there, um, uh, when people are trying to pick up the pieces, it's going to be a massive opportunity for evangelism. And we've been keeping, my wife uh, has decided that weekends are uh, takeout weekends. And I'm not sure if that's, she's that's tired great. of cooking every meal for us or she wants to support local businesses. But well, I'm starting on Friday yeah. nights and through the weekend, she's like, there's no cooking in our house. Uh, we go do takeout mm -hmm. in the area and we've, we're supporting the the local places that we go to all the time. These are our local businesses that we have been invested with them and we, we want to see them make it through the other side. I think that that's a unique gospel opportunity for people who see you as a regular customer to see mm -hmm. you loving them and maybe even open some opportunities for the gospel there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's, uh, you know, different parts of the United States right now have different, uh, you know, shelter in place policies, uh, those kinds of things. So not everybody can be out and about as easily as, you know, uh, maybe folks out in some parts of the South right now. For those of us who are in shelter in place, I think uh, there is a bit of innovation that we need to, you know, if you're like you and I, I mean, you're probably zoomed out, like you and I, we're just on zoom all day, every day. Um, and uh, but I think, you know, uh, this is kind of, this is a weird thing, but this week we had to have our house serviced twice. I could have fixed the toilet myself. I could have caulked my tub by myself, you know, um, but we wanted to serve the handyman in our area. Oh, wow. That's really good. There's still essential services still. 
So we hit up Facebook and, you know, uh, had two different uh, contractors come out, both from our neighborhood. And uh, these are relationships that we'll keep after the pandemic, Lord willing, is over. And so, again, working within the confines, being safe, being healthy, but finding real practical ways to, to love on those around you that are hurting. And I would say probably the two areas, and we've, we've done some research around this. You guys can go to, uh, what's the best website? Uh, probably coronavirusinthechurch.com. Um, our research is going to be up there. Uh, but there are some you know, immediate needs that uh, non-believers are looking for that the church is trying to plug. Obviously, frontline workers is huge. You know, this isn't just a church responding, but it's the whole body. It's, it's, it's you know, just society, humanity in general, responding to support frontline workers like the medical industry, nurses, doctors. Um, and I think uh, there's tons of opportunity there for us to safely engage and show that, you know, we're doing things with non-believers, just not just as a church, hmm. but this is a humanity issue. Um, and I think that if the church is uh, shoulder to shoulder with humanity and society, um, then this is a great opportunity. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about that in terms of just like what the church is doing is I think, you know, as we approach like mass deaths and mass um, funerals or whatever that's going to look like, um, I mean, just think about this. I mean, they're saying, you know, possibly 120,000, maybe 200,000. And this is with all the measures in place, you know. Um, we're not even hitting those numbers yet right now. And the amount of mourn, mourning and grief in the, uh, the stories that are coming out of hospitals, it's, 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 a, it's overwhelming. And if the church can manage to, to be there in that moment of grief, if we can do things like, I, I don't really know, man, if we can do free funerals for people, if we can offer free services, free grief counseling, um, I just think, man, those are huge opportunities. Uh, and not, we're not being opportunistic. I think we're just being faithful followers of Jesus mm. in the worst moments of humanity. Well, I think that that's one of the big questions that is, I haven't heard enough people talking about yet, is how will the church respond when inevitably this is no longer something you hear about happening in other cities, but you will be personally affected. I mean, if we're talking about 120,000 to 200,000 people, everyone's going to know someone who's affected. I mean, in yeah. Michigan alone, with our Acts 29 churches, that's the network that we're part of, in, in Michigan alone, I'm aware of seven positive cases and one death um, mm. in our churches. Mm -hmm. So I'm aware of the, and, the, and that's without even me looking for it. And that's coming for all of us. Mm -hmm. You just gave some great examples of things that the church can do. I love the idea of free funerals, free grief counseling, things like that. Are there things that uh, just the average lay person, the follower of Christ can be thinking about as we're entering this season where everyone's life is going to be touched. How do we represent Jesus yeah. well in the midst of this coming? Uh, and I hope it's, I hope that this is a stupid conversation we're having because it's not going to take place, but mm -hmm. it sounds like it's going sure. to. In yeah. the worst yeah. case scenario, a couple hundred thousand people pass. How do we represent Jesus well in those moments? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think it'll be specific uh, to each city and to each state and probably to the personality of the church. But here are some things that I think uh, all believers, you know, pastor, lay, whatever the labels that we use to divide us, um, that I think if you can stay engaged with what your local municipality is doing, 
So for instance, our city council, they stream all of their meetings right now. It's on Facebook, it's easy to go in. And so I know exactly what issues they're talking about right now uh, at our city council. And so as a matter of fact, our mayor, uh, Richard Urban right now, uh, he, he's actually COVID uh, positive. And so he's doing well, I think he's gonna recover well. Um, uh, and, and then our chief of police, she's also COVID positive. Um, and so, but if you, if you tune into your municipality uh, and if you know in lockstep what they're doing, so th this is their plan for small businesses. This is their plan for the hospital. This is their plan for frontline workers, uh, for the senior community. Um, that's gonna probably give most people a better pulse as to how to respond immediately in the situation. So there's already conversations that they're having with uh, you know, the local morgue, funeral homes, in, in preparation for potential, you know, if it's not mass funerals, at least with the basic, like for instance, my, my cousin died three weeks ago, uh, not COVID related, but unfortunately he died right before the shelter in place. He's out there in Detroit. And, um, and so, and in my culture, we just don't believe in cremation. So we're waiting to, to bury his body. And so I've uh, been working with the funeral, uh, you know, director there and you're trying to find the right dates. And uh, so cities are, are actively engaging like these, like places that you would never think of, you know. Um, and I think lay people, if you can tune in, you'll find the heartbeat of your city real fast because your mayor or your councilman is actually having these conversations uh, every single day. And if we're there in the midst of the conversation, if they see us engaging on Facebook, uh, if they know that, you know, uh, you come from a certain church, I, you know, I think, I mean, that's equity that you're building. And I think it's going to, it's going to really make a difference mm. uh, in the long term. That's really good. Are there stories that you're hearing? Obviously, like you said, you're on <laughs> zoom calls all day. I'm, I have a little, I have a little zoom fatigue, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but um, are there stories that you are hearing where you're really seeing the, the body of Christ step up where, you know, Jesus's name is being proclaimed well in cultures. Are there any kind of shining moments yet? Or is this thing still so fresh that we're still, in triage and, and we'll find those stories when it's all said and done. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, absolutely. Um, you know, you may be familiar with reality church in LA. Yeah. Yeah. And Brit. Uh, yeah. And they've launched uh, Jesus changed my life campaign. That's really taken off. And so it's hashtag Jesus changed my life and it's built for not for pastors. It's built for every church member. We're basically, you know, the I am second concept, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's very similar to that. And so everybody's giving a video testimonio. They're just hashtagging Jesus changed my life. And then it's a basic invitation to your Easter gathering, whatever that looks like. For some people, they're still doing services. Other people are doing other things. Um, and, man, that thing's really taking traction on the West Coast. I know some folks out here uh, in the Midwest are, are, are uh, doing that as well. Um, and then uh, a church planner in uh, Nebraska has launched two online uh, uh, websites right now. Again, uh, he's taking opportunity uh, and taking advantage of the situation, but he's not being opportunistic, and I think that's important. Um, so one is uh, launchingdigitalchurches.com, where he's actually, uh, again, I mean, in his mind, he's not necessarily trying to launch sustainable, you know, long-term churches online but he's teaching everyday people church planning principles that they can do online. Wow, that's great. And so you're creating spiritual community with non-Christians online. Um, and so uh, it's really fun to see that starting to take off. He also launched a, uh, a 
social marketing uh, company called Reparations Inc., specifically for uh, Latino and African Americans, small business people who, uh, you know, their barbershop, their whatever it is, uh, is at risk because they're not getting exposure right now because they don't have the walk by traffic. And so he's helping, uh, and a, a crew of people are helping them to develop uh, a social media strategy for those businesses where, you know, if you don't get foot traffic, then you're, you're done. And so that's really exciting to see uh, some of these innovative things uh, being done. And all of it is more multiplication, and it has less to do with church growth. I think it has more to do with how do you multiply the instances of the body of Christ uh, wherever they may be gathered. So. Well, that reparations Inc. idea is fascinating. Yeah. So, and that's and and that's out of a. Do you know what the church is in Nebraska? Uh, yep, Mission Church. Uh, pastor planter is Myron Pierce. Oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Because I think that one of the things you and I had a little bit of a conversation offline about this, but in times like this, there are those little, those shining light moments. And then kind of the underbelly of our culture gets exposed a little bit as well. And when you talk mm -hmm. about reparations, in particular, uh, you said Latino and African-American cultures, just trying to figure out how to help their, their businesses. Um, Asians, um, such as yourself and my wife, are experiencing the other side of sure. the underbelly right now of people who are mislabeling, <laughs> mm -hmm, I would suppose, mm -hmm. all Asians as Chinese and mm -hmm. all therefore Chinese as the bearers of the virus. And mm -hmm. my kids are experiencing this online. And, mm. and how do we as followers of Christ, and I say this as a, a middle-aged white guy, but how do we as followers of Christ address this issue in a way that is heard well in the current cultural moment? That's a yeah. really hard thing to figure out, I would think. Yeah. Now, thanks for asking that question. I mean, it's, it's deeply personal to me and obviously to you as well with, um, with uh, you know, Korean wife and, and Korean children. Um, you know, um, I think it's important for me to say this, uh, you know, right up front in that um, as somebody who has experienced it uh, and whose family's members have experienced it, like the enemy to me is not, you know, uh, white middle-aged men. <laughs> so um i'm thankful yeah. and, and 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 it's not even uh really uh people who are ignorant that have been socialized to believe that you know to make these uh connections between you know wuhan uh, and the breakout there and you know asian americans who were born here um you know the enemy really is a spiritual enemy it's 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 the devil it's satan it's his it's his minions um so i have no doubt that right now um the enemy is uh, a full-on assault on multiple fronts, and um, and this is just one of them. This is one of them where this is an opportunity where the enemy can exacerbate two kinds of people: people who are naturally um, paranoid, and then secondly, those who are on the other side of it, where they're uh, they're anxious people and they um, they fear being uh, mistreated or being victimized. And so I think the enemy is playing on that. Um, and if the church, if we can be aware of that, we can do two things. Number one, we can uh, not not kind of like um, conveniently dismiss that, oh, you know, you're just being too sensitive. Or, or you know, this is, you know, uh, if you just kind of like, you know, realize that, you know, Chinese virus is explaining the geography, it's explaining ethnicity. Like those are really dismissive ways to really think about uh, what's actually happening. 
you know, the problem with microaggressions, and I'll explain what a microaggression is. My, yesterday, my brother who lives in Detroit uh, went to Lowe's and uh, he's a much nicer, you know, human being than I am. And he asked for some help from one of the Lowe's worker. And immediately the Lowe's work workers uh, jumped back 10 feet, gave him a disgust, disgusted look and would not uh, interact with him. Oh my. And then my brother immediately said, hey, you know, I was born in Illinois. Uh, and I, you know, he began to explain himself. And no interaction in the worker walked away. And th that would be an example of a microaggression. Wow. Um, for the most part, and this is not just for Asians or African Americans, you know, obviously even whites, ex uh, you experience microaggressions. Um, the, the issue with microaggressions is that when you try to educate ignorance, um, sometimes you win, but oftentimes uh, people will clap back. And so, and things can escalate. And those are the kinds of things that we want to avoid. And so I think if the church can be more cognizant that microaggressions can lead to greater things, like say, for instance, I mean, there's actually a database right now, Noel, that's being curated out of um, uh, San Francisco. Dr. Russell Jung has curated over a thousand, a thousand uh, reported harassments uh, uh, against the Asian community. Um, I think if you go to AsianAmericanChristianCollaborative.com, uh, that information is up there, and it actually documents uh, COVID, coronavirus-related incidents, over a 1,000 that they've been able to, uh, to document already. Um, and what happens is that if we're not careful, uh, you know, the, 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 the least concerned thing happens is somebody gets called Chinese when they're not Chinese. The worst thing that could happen is what happened two weeks ago in Texas is when a Burmese family was stabbed. Um, because they were accused of being virus yeah, carriers. Yeah, right? I that. and that's yeah, been all over the news. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so those are the things that I think the church, we need to be cognizant. We need to educate people in our church. You know, you think that most people know, uh, and most people do know, but there's always this underlying, again, there's two mindsets. There's, there's underlying paranoia that somebody out there is out here to get me, or this underlying paranoia that I'm a victim, you know? And so I think we need to work against that. The gospel works against both mindsets. The gospel, you know, uh, humbles those who are proud, but the gospel also empowers those of us who feel uh, marginalized. And I think that there's no greater resource right now than the word of God to, to fight against. Because again, it's the scheme of the enemy. It's not even uh, flesh and, uh, you know, uh, in origin. Um, and so actually, if you go to that website, uh, American Christian Collaborative, there's a statement uh, that fleshes some of the theology of this out. And then there are five practical things that they suggest that church leaders can do. So mm, yeah. it's hard for me to get more practical than that. Well, I'll definitely uh, link to that in the show notes. Uh, and sure. by the way, I've been trying to write down every website you've mentioned. So we Sorry. can get all of them in the, in the show notes. But yeah. uh, I think those are great resources to be thinking about. Because I think what happens is, like I said, in crisis like this, um, it brings out, I mean, it's a cliche, but it brings out the best and it brings out the worst. Sure. And it brings out our insecurities and it brings out our strengths and all of our strengths of corresponding weaknesses. And so we are all, we're a multifaceted culture with multifaceted people all going through a common traumatic event. And, right. and even just thinking through representing Jesus in our culture right now is being a, almost a calming 
presence that understands the sovereignty of God and is able to step into those charged situations both ways mm-hmm. um, and, and, and represent kind of a third answer. Because mm-hmm. um, I, 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 um, I was on a, um, uh, a webinar with uh, Dr. Henry Cloud uh, talking about the psychology of, of crisis mm-hmm. um, uh, last week. And he talked about the fact that it's almost like we're all going through, we're, we're not only going to have post-traumatic stress disorder off of this, we are all having present traumatic stress disorder yeah. at the same time. That's right. Almost everyone in the world. And I think that's going to bring out the best and the worst. That's right. And I think we need to be kind of ready for that and ready to represent Jesus in the middle of the best and the worst. That's, that's a great word. And I will say this to, you know, to, to anybody that might be listening that's Asian American. This is a, this is a key opportunity to really uh, to cling to Jesus as your identity um, and to, uh, to keep the church accountable, because I do think the church has a prophetic voice when it comes to these issues. Mm-hmm. But it's really important that we don't turn uh, a brother or a sister in Christ who's different from us into the common enemy. Because the enemy is not flesh and blood, uh, and it's not our brother and sister in Christ. Um, you know, the enemy really is Satan. And so if we can keep that in mind, I think we'll have the right kinds of conversations. Absolutely. Well, you know, if you wouldn't mind, I would love to have you um, put you on the spot here. Pray for the listeners and pray for our churches and pray for our country. I just, I, I've actually found myself the last couple of weeks as I'm doing these podcasts, always wanting to end in prayer, which it's, mm-hmm. it feels like I'm ending a church service. But if you wouldn't mind praying for everyone, yeah. I, I'm so thankful for you. Thankful for your ministry. Uh, thank you. F- thankful for your prophetic voice online, your willingness to kind of step into, into these issues and, and uh, I look forward to seeing what uh, Jesus does with you and your ministry over the years. And so if you would pray for us, that would be a great way to wrap up. Absolutely. Father, thank you that we can come to you uh, through our, um, our older brother, our co-heir, uh, Jesus, that he has raised us. Uh, and we just, that's such a tremendous uh, resource for us that we've been raised uh, to be co-heirs with your son. And I pray that that would filter every single uh, lens through which we're looking at our ministry obligations, our family life, and our life with you. And I pray for those right now who can hear my voice, that they would dive deeper into what it means that this God-man who was Jewish, he was crucified on the cross, and he was resurrected, how he was crucified in shame and resurrected in glory, that there's tremendous resource for us in these days. Help us to cling to your scripture. Help us, for those of us who aren't charismatic, help us to have more of the Holy Spirit right now. And for those of us who have felt uh, abandoned and orphaned and anxious, remind us of the fatherhood of God. And I pray that we would do this in a way that would make Jesus shine. And so that those who have not named him as Lord will do that. And we pray that specifically in these next oncoming weeks, as we uh, uh, celebrate both your passion and your victory over the grave. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.